Welcome to the Rainbows and Rain podcast for early interventionists. My name is Erica. I'm an ECSE teacher in Minnesota. I created Rainbows and Rain as a way to connect with other providers in the field trying to grow in their own practice as we all put best practice and research to work in real life on real visits. I hope this podcast helps you connect and reflect on your own visits and interactions with families. Welcome everyone to episode 13 of the R&R podcast and I want to share some stats with you guys and share just a little bit about who is listening on the R&R podcast. So I started this podcast at the beginning of January, so just about two months ago, and currently the podcast has been downloaded over six, I'm sorry, over 500 times. We're close to 600. We are listened to in 25 states, and we are listened to in about half a dozen U.S. territories overseas. So I just, I say everyone because I feel like in early intervention, um, you know, we're on the road and we're driving from visit to visit, from home to home, daycare to daycare. And it's nice to have a voice in the car and it's nice to kind of connect with someone. So that's how I imagine my podcast reaching you is uh, through your car or on your phone or on your computer or laptop, wherever you are, uh, just trying to kind of connect and hear from somebody else who's going through the same things you guys are going through every day and visit to visit. So I just wanted to give an update about that. And thank you guys for listening so much. I have gotten some feedback through email, which I love. I think that's great. If anyone has any feedback for the podcast, If anyone has a story they would like to share, whether it's rainy, stormy, sunny, lots of rainbows, whatever it is, um, please share it with me and I'd be happy to try and incorporate it into the podcast. I do plan on having co-hosts at some point in time. It's just getting that organized and getting people together to do that and the time and things like that since this typically happens or this does happen outside my duty day. So again, welcome to episode 13 of Rainbows and Rain. I thought I'd talk about some visits I had last week where I found myself in a position of doing a lot of problem solving. And what visit doesn't involve some sort of problem solving with a caregiver or with a family or whatever it is. So after reflecting on these visits I had last week where parents were coming to me with uh, a situation or a problem they needed help with, they needed help solving, I kind of did a deep dive into my coaching and resources folder and to relook at how I was helping these families problem solve. So I have this handout and I'll link it in the episode description and it's facilitating 
a problem-solving approach for families, and it has four steps in it. And if I kind of reflect back, I think some of the steps kind of get lost or forgotten about, or we get off to a good start with problem-solving and generating ideas and brainstorming, but then we kind of uh, don't really kind of tie it together at the end. So I wanted to reflect back on what I was doing with these families and take a look at how I was helping them facilitate problem solving. I had a visit with a mom and a little boy. He's 22 months old. Mom is stays at home for the most part, and she lives in a home where multiple other families live together. So not an extended family situation, but just multiple people rent and live in this home. So the living room area is a shared area. The kitchen area is a shared area amongst people in the home. So, and this was also her first child and her only child. So first time mom. And the problem we talked about was she said that he's just getting into everything. As most kiddos his age are, he's 22 months old. He has some language delays and other things going on. Uh, but what 22-month-old isn't getting into stuff? So if you can kind of think about that's the problem she's kind of dealing with. So her problem is he's getting into stuff. She says no. She tries to distract him. She tries to discipline him a little bit, but it just keeps getting to be a problem. He's knocking decorations down and um, things off end tables and the kitchen is an especially problem area as you can imagine as any typical um, child is getting into cupboards and drawers and wanting to play and get into things. So taking a look at this facilitating a problem-solving approach with families. Step one is define the problem. So what is the problem? Who is affected? How are they affected? What is the impact? Can you ignore this problem? What happens if you're going to ignore it? What happens if you address it? And kind of just all that information gathering. So what I was doing with this mom and talking with her was figuring out how much of a problem this really is. And for her, it was a big problem. And we were in the living room when she was discussing this. And I had noticed some changes to the living room already. And I kind of acknowledged those like, oh, is that why you moved the furniture this way? And is that why you took this thing away? And she said, yes. And I had to talk to her a little bit about uh, child development and how he's coming to an age where kids are exploring and they are getting into things and it's difficult for them to understand safety and even know sometimes. So child-proofing. So that was something that was new to her. Remember, she's a first-time mom and this is her first And she lives in a home with multiple other people, multiple other families, and 
I'm not, I think, I know her son is the youngest and there's not many children living in this home. Uh, If any, he might be the only one. So the problem was affecting the common areas of the home. And then we started, so after we talked about the living room, and the living room is pretty well childproofed. She was able to kind of rearrange things so they were, you know, easier for him to access and, you know, less apt to destruction. Kitchen was a different story. So as we started talking about the kitchen, I asked, can we go into the kitchen And so we went into the kitchen, we kind of looked around and I just said, show me what he likes to get into. And she showed me and there's, there's lots of, um, dangerous drawers and cupboards for him to get into. So we started generating ideas after we defined the problem, it was, okay, what can we do about this? Can he have his own drawer? Can he have his own cupboard in the kitchen? Can we move things in the kitchen that are not safe? As she was giving me a tour of her kitchen, um, or I'm sorry, not of her kitchen, this is, remember, the, the common area kitchen where multiple families share and couples share, she was showing me the things he really gets into and kind of the the dangers. She pulled a drawer out and literally pulled out this giant meat cleaver. And I was like, oh my goodness, that is something that definitely needs to be addressed. And we definitely need to talk about childproofing and safety and all of those things. So we started generating ideas. Can things in the kitchen be moved? For example, the knives, the cleaning supplies, and those kinds of things. So as we generate ideas, we're talking about what has been tried, what's worked, what hasn't worked. There's no one bad idea when you're generating ideas. I just feel like it's just a truly brainstorming experience where like, let's talk about this. And as we did this, we discovered there were some things that just weren't an option. So for example, we talked about um, her son having his own cupboard or drawer. And she said, well, that's, that's not really going to work. This is not just my kitchen. And I said, "I, I get that. So let's talk about Um, some other alternatives. If he can't have a drawer or a cupboard, because that, again, is something very typical for kids his age to want to do. They want to explore. They want to copy what you're doing. They want to play with real life objects. So we talked about having a bin, a box, or a basket in the kitchen, similar to what he has in the living room already. Another thing I noticed as walking around her kitchen and looking at her kitchen was this enormous kind of spiral spice rack that she had on the counter. And we talked about how kids his age really do want to play with real life objects. So again, using what she already has, so this is easiest for her to implement, is saving containers 
saving containers, saving spice containers, food containers, things with tops, things with lids, um, things he can put little things into bowls or containers or nest objects, um, spoons, just kind of gathering some random kitchen supplies and that are safe for him to play with and explore and use and something that's also easy for her to manage. So we just started generating those ideas and then that led to the evaluating the ideas and choosing solutions. So again, taking a look at all the things we kind of talked about and generated, what are going to be the best solutions? So the things that kind of jump to the top of the list, um, again, the things that are going to be the easiest to implement, and also thinking about what might go wrong or what the backup plan is. So we talked about that too. So when he starts to get into those drawers or into those cupboards, redirecting him to his basket or box or bin or whatever it is of his stuff and, you know, letting him have access to safe things. So we talked about that. And then we also talked about who this problem affects. So even though it really affects her and her son, rearranging the kitchen and child-proofing the kitchen is something that affects everybody in the home. So I asked her when we were talking about child-proofing if that was something that the entire house would be on board with and if she felt comfortable talking to the people in her home about, you know, we really need to move this meat cleaver or we talked about kind of the most dangerous things in the kitchen like knives and cleaning supplies. Um, You know, spoons and silverware aren't so much of a problem and and other things like that, but we really just kind of defined like these are the um, most important things that need to get moved. So, so far we've gone through three steps to this four-step approach. We've defined the problem with information. We've generated ideas and reflected on those ideas. We've evaluated the ideas and chosen a solution. And now we're going to develop a plan to implement the solution. So step four, developing and implementing the plan, the decision. So the decision was that she's going to talk to the people in her house. She's going to figure out where she can keep those knives and cleaning supplies She's going to gather some safe materials and safe objects, safe kitchen objects for him to play with and figure out how she's going to store them and where she can access them so it's easier for him to. And I also asked her if it was okay that I bring some to her too. So at my house, I do a lot of that already like I'll save spice containers and random food containers and things like that so when I get to kind of this uh, situation I can share with families like hey I have some of those already if you're okay I can bring them and you can have some to get you started 
And that's what I asked mom if she was okay with that. So that is going to be my job this week is to bring those containers and objects that I have that he that might keep his interest in the kitchen instead of kind of getting into things he shouldn't be getting into. You know, I've just noticed this my years being in early intervention, especially with first-time moms um, or first-time parents, that when they get to this age where you need to childproof, it's like you really start to realize how much a child changes your life and how much you have to adapt and sometimes change because little ones, they don't always respond to no. They don't have that safety awareness piece. And sometimes it requires a lot of childproofing. Um, I have twins. They're eight years old. And my life like lived around childproofing. And we almost couldn't go to someone's home if it wasn't childproof because I had two kids that were just all over the place. And that was just a part of our life for that short period of time. I had another visit similar to that visit last week that I just reflected on. But again, but this was a busy mom and she has four kids. She has a newborn She has twins that are about 16 months old, and then she has a four-year-old with cerebral palsy. So her four-year-old with cerebral palsy, who, you know, was, had some significant physical impairments, she now has twins that are 16-ish months old, and they are getting into everything, very similar to to my little boy I just talked about. And the the boy, the boy twin, she's got boy girl twins. He is climbing. So she's having to again rearrange furniture so he's not climbing to get to the TV and he's climbing onto chairs and climbing onto the table and he's just a really busy guy and again that age is a really busy age they just figured out how to walk and move their body and he's on the go and it's just really a strength for his so we had to kind of problem solve some different activities for the twins to do And because they're, again, at that age where they're not infants, but they're not quite toddlers. It's a really weird age in development. But again, it's that age where they're exploring and they're just interested in so many things. So we talked about what can you use that you have access to and that would be really easy to set up. So we kind of took almost like an inventory of what she had access to. Do you have access to a tunnel? Yes. Do you have access to like bins or boxes, um, things that he could safely climb? So, and we, we also kind of went online and started thinking about maybe a little slide or a little climber that they could put in their living room. They don't have that right now, but it was something that she was thinking about. So then just kind of hopping on her phones and I Googled some images of things that I was thinking about and then showed them to her and she seemed really interested. But again, she doesn't have those right now. So 
What can she use right now? So we got on the topic of, um, since he really is into moving and climbing, you know, we just started talking about what are some things he could, he could safely climb. And we got to the subject of boxes and bins and baskets. And she said, I have tons of diaper boxes. She's got three kids in diapers and one in pull-ups. So she's like, I have boxes and boxes of diapers. I'm like, what if she, what if we set them up so he could climb on top of those boxes or push those boxes or, you know, whatever it is with those boxes. She's like, yeah, I could set up a little obstacle course. And I said, that would be maybe a great idea. Throw your tunnel out, throw a couple diaper boxes out or a laundry basket out. And let's see what they do with those things. So if they want to climb and get in and out of stuff, um, what can we use? What do we have? So we really just tried to brainstorm what she already had in the moment that she could easily grab and figured out what other ways could he get that, you know, sensory need met, you know, that climbing and exploring, what other ways could he do that? So again, we're defining the problem. He's climbing. We talked about, can this problem be ignored? And some of the climbing absolutely can be ignored. And she's like, I don't, I don't care. She even said on the visit, like, as long as she's like, he even climbs the stove. He likes to climb it and not onto the stove, but kind of hang on it. And, and she's like, as long as it's not on, she's like, I just don't care. She, I mean, she's four kids. She's super busy. Four that are all four and under with some very intense needs with a newborn included. So um, we talked about the climbing we can ignore, the climbing we can't ignore, and how can we set up her environment so it just allows for that exploration because she can't be always on top of him or each one of the twins to make sure that they're safe. You know, so she she wants to make it so it's safe for everybody and she doesn't have to hover because she's really busy. We also talked about um, novel toys and real life objects, how her twins who are about 16 months old, they're kind of transitioning out of that baby phase and really wanting to explore and play with real life objects. When I first got there, one was playing with one of those oral syringes that you give medicine with. And I pointed that out like, see, look, that's her favorite toy of the day, that syringe. So they're at that stage and age where they're more likely to play with the package the toy comes in than the actual toy. So we started brainstorming other other things that her toddler her kids could start doing that they've never done before because they were too young. So we talked about some art, some sensory, some dramatic play, uh, rotating some toys out and creating space in her home because that's really what she needs. Um, She's living in kind of a smaller home with four kids. So really kind of just reflecting on how can we make your home evolve with your family, with the family that you have. She never had to do this with her four-year-old son because his physical 
disability was so involved, he wasn't climbing and getting into things. So this was all new to her with her twins, but now having to manage twins, her four-year-old with equipment, and a newborn. So it's all those pieces that contribute to the problem and need to be looked at. So again, defining the problem, um, what it is, who, who it's affecting, the impact, can it be ignored, what happens if you address it, generating those ideas, what's going to work, what's not going to work, um, and then evaluating those ideas and choosing solutions. So what's going to jump to the top of the list as things to try? And again, choosing a backup plan. So what happens when climbing that becomes unsafe? And now that I think back to that visit, uh, one of the twins, he kept wanting to climb into the bassinet. And it, it happened several times where I had to kind of take him off the bassinet while mom was busy with another kid so it that the newborn sits sleeps in sits in and kind of it's higher up off the ground it's one of the higher up bassinets um so he could kind of climb it and get into it so then I suggested if he's really wanting to climb and get into something let's replace the bassinet with something else he can climb into so then we started thinking about those ideas, what could he climb into? Um, So again, evaluating ideas, choosing solutions, choosing a backup plan, and then developing and implementing the plan. So what's going to be tried first? And who's going to do it? And how are we going to know if what we're doing is working? So we did that at the end. So she's going to pull out her tunnel. She's going to look at more stuff that she has. She has like a a jumping kind of bouncy horse in the basement she was thinking about bringing up to the living room. Uh, She definitely wanted to throw out her diaper boxes into the living room and down the hall and just see what the kids would do with those, climbing up and over those and moving those around. So just really trying to get her to think about what can you use on the fly that you have right now. When I look back at this four-step process, I think it's really easy for, for me anyways, to look at defining the problem and then generating a bunch of ideas and doing that brainstorming and giving those suggestions to families. But then steps three and four, we can't forget about. So choosing the the thing you're going to try from that list of ideas or that brainstorm that you came up with and then developing a plan to implement. It all goes back to joint planning too. So who's going to do what and when and how are we going to know what we're doing is working? So we can't forget about that. Um, I really love problem solving. It's one of the things I kind of thrive on like, oh, like what can we think, what, what, what can we think of to try and fix this and what else can we do? I think it's one of the funnest things we do in special education is, you know, work problems and work out ways to solve them so kids can access their environment so they can, so parents can do what they want to do with their kids and their families. So 
again, I'll link this handout I received in a training in the episode description. So look for that. Until then, this I'm going to end the podcast here. Thanks again for, for joining me of another episode of Rainbows and Rain. Again, if you have feedback, thoughts, or stories you would like to share with everyone on the podcast, please email those to me at erikabo 80 at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, or follow the podcast. And I hope you join me again for another episode of Rainbows and Rain.